about a year ago, uh, I made a telephone call to a guy that I wanted to come and, and speak, and that guy was Al White. Well, Al, uh, I guess, doesn't... Uh, I called the, the uh, pregnancy care center where he uh, uh, works, and uh, Al doesn't listen to that voice recording very often. I'm the only one that ever left him a message there. <laughs> and, and so uh, uh, some time ago, uh, we met, I think, at the, the banquet. And he says, you're Ken Gillespie. You're the guy that left me the message. <laughs> and so uh, today we have Al White here with us today to speak to us. Uh, Al is with the, uh, what used to be the Pregnancy Care Center. As uh, Marilyn told you, it has changed its name to Clarity. Uh, and uh, there are some... Uh, bulletins, some information that he's brought along with him that's out on the, uh, the desk out there if you want to pick any of that up uh, to t find out a little more about Clarity. Uh, and also there's a volunteer sheet out there. If you are, uh, how many people volunteer besides Maryland at the Pregnancy Care Center? There's a couple. Okay, uh, if you would like to volunteer for that, that will tell you how to get involved with the Pregnancy Care Center. I know uh, Joyce's uh, brother is a uh, big supporter of, of the Pregnancy Care Center and works with them quite a bit. And so uh, if you would like to do that, uh, please pick up one of these and you can find out how. And so Al, I will turn this over to you now. And so here's Al White. Don't applaud, you haven't heard me yet, so. Don't get all excited here. Okay, so glad to be with you again. Uh, I was here um, for Sanctity of Human Life, and in that capacity, I was here as a development specialist for Clarity Pregnancy Care Center. Um, but let's put all that aside. I'm here in a different capacity. Um, what I also do as a pastor for 37 years, I do a little bit of supply preaching and teaching. Pam and I just finished up a, a marriage series at our home church. And uh, so uh, I do leadership consulting, that kind of stuff. So today I'm filling in for that. And apparently Mark was scrambling to get uh, church together this week. So I'm glad everything worked out well. Hey, thank you guys. Uh, going back to the Clarity thing, you guys just do a great job with the baby bottles. Of course, your, your uh, banquet sponsors. Um, I see a couple of you help out with the Walk for Life. And so uh, you guys are involved with us. And I love that about uh, your, your mission sense that you want to not only go to Vietnam and other parts of the world, but you want to help out in Jackson County. And so thank you, thank you and so much for that. Um, just came to me. Let, let me start out with a quick little story about our two cats. Do we have any cat lovers in here? Okay. So the rest of you are cat haters, correct? <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've been there. I know what it is. So, so two of these cats, they're both black. Um, one's a female, one's an ex-male. Uh, well, they're ex-female and ex-male. Um, one's been declawed, and you know how cats are. They're just weird creatures. And, and these, these two cats couldn't have more different disposition. And I want to encourage you not to be a little bear, but to be a coal. Now, little bear is our little fat female black cat. And we think something's wrong with her. <laughs> I, I don't think she was dropped as a baby. She was actually born in our pantry. And Pam and I uh, had our... I've never seen a cat give birth. You know, we're city kids. We, we don't know what's going on. And so this... 
stray cat that my wife and my son started come letting into the house, just kind of, they call it queening, uh, queened in our pantry closet and gave birth to six kittens. And uh, um, Little Bear was kind of the runt of the little litter, and so she's a small, black, fat female cat. And Little Bear is, I genuinely think, imprinted to Pam. Pam feeds her, and she follows Pam around the house, and we can let her outside on the back porch, and she won't run away. Either A, she's too stupid to run away, it's very good, or B, that's just not her personality. She's a homebody. She wants to stay by us. She bites her ankles when we're putting on our shoes and socks. And so, so that's Little Bear, okay? That's one disposition. Cole, Cole Ethan Maverick, uh, was actually abandoned by our oldest daughter to our care. And he, on the other hand, is not like that, although he sleeps in my legs at night and he does my Bible reading in my, my arm uh, every morning. But we have to be careful when we open the front door or the back door because if we're not careful, Cole is out. And he's gotten out a couple times. And believe me, it's hard to track down a black cat when it's dark outside at night. <laughs> and so... It, it, I don't know if he's more exploratory or what the deal is, but he's much more outward. And so he'll hang around the back door, and if we want to get out, we actually have to squeeze through the door and kind of kick him back in, you know, so he won't get out, okay? So two dispositions. I don't want you to be, as a person of faith, I don't want you to be Little Bear. And, and if you could see... When Little Bear looks at us, it's, it's almost like her eyes are crossed. You know, like, what the heck is going on? Don't be like Little Bear. Be like Cole. On the ready, ready. Okay? So now, with those, that's a totally free bonus. I, I, I won't charge for that one. So here's, here's where I want to go with this. And if you uh, are used to following along with your scriptures, please turn to John 4. And I'm going to be reading that passage. And I, I want to just connect something very simple and very, I think, helpful. And I'm going to try to demonstrate this. And I've only got an hour and a half to do this. So uh, we better get through this. I think we've made church too complicated. I believe we've made it harder than what we think it is because of all the buildings and the programs and the Western civilization model of what the church is supposed to be. And so I just want to, I've got a simple mind. I've heard people say, boy, that Al sure is simple-minded, isn't he? And so if, if you can simplify your mind with me, we're just going to make this real, real simple about how we should be behaving as a church. And that's why you saw the title there, Jesus Model for Ministry. And if we just look at this one little chapter and we look at this one little engagement, I think that's going to help each of us understand who and how to operate as people of faith in this world. And it's a very comprehensive overview. Now, we can learn much from this encounter from Jesus in um, John's Gospel, chapter 4. It's a long passage. I'm going to read through it. I'm hoping that with new eyes and God's spirit that we'll hear this a little bit differently. Uh, it's about Jesus. 
It's about a woman, it's about a well, and it's about a, a group of townspeople. So there's the characters, there's the setting. It's very easy for that. So let me read this uh, starting in John 4, uh, verses uh, 1 through 42. Now, Jesus realized, <laughs> I wish I could go in, and I'm going to try not to add too much commentary because i got to keep going today. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. I don't know if they had a little abacus there, one for, that's one for Jesus, oh, two for John, you know. I don't know how they were doing that. Although his disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. Interesting note. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. Okay? On the way down today, uh, we're pretty familiar with this, the, the, uh, this part of Seymour and Crothersville and Uniontown and Austin and all that stuff. But we played with the GPS, and so Jesus dialed in on his GPS that he was going to a certain place, but he had to go through a certain place to get to a certain place. Okay, So verse 4 says, to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you were a Jew back then, when you heard the word Samaria, you'd hear the music, dun, dun, dun. Samaria, dun, dun, dun. You know, it, it, was, it didn't have a positive vibe to it. Kind of like Cleveland. I don't know, they used to call Cleveland the armpit of the nation. I don't know. And to anybody that is actually from Cleveland, my apologies, I didn't make that up. Okay. So he had to pass through Samaria. Dun, dun, dun. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Interesting that this history and this geography is starting to connect there. Jacob's well was still there. The patriarch Jacob, this was his well. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. All those details are very important to this story. And you know where we're going with this story. A woman, a Samaritan woman, dun, 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 came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone into the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you... A Jew are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. Remember the Jewish law, the cleanliness. To be around a Samaritan meant that they had to purify themselves because the Samaritans were unclean to them. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh, living water. Oh man. Oh man, Jesus, he's the master. This is his model for ministry. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with and this well is deep. So how are you going to get this so-called living water are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob 
who dug this well and drank from it, he and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give him will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring. The artesian is way down in the earth. The artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. The woman said, sir, give me, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty, won't ever have to come back to this well again. He said, well, go call your husband and then come back. Cue the music again. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, this is just filled with drama. I have no husband. Ba-da. The music is swelling, she said. <laughs> That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough, and all of a sudden, it's very quiet there at the well, and we're having an awkward moment. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this then. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Did you see what she did there? She didn't go into denial. She went into distraction. Let's get away from this whole husband thing. Ooh, what about that mountain there? She's trying to deflect a little bit. This is brilliant. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you, Samaritans, will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You're... You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. In fact, it has come that when you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. Great, great. Uh, I'd like to take this with the whole worship team and just kind of go over this concept of worship here. It's you, who you are, and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. Isn't that a great, great lesson there? I love that. God is sheer being itself, spirit Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. Wow. You see the setup here? You see the pinnacle of the drama in this story? And Jesus says, I am he. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Boom. Just then his disciples came back. Timing ruins everything, huh? They were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left In her confusion, she left her water pot. Back in the village, she told the people, come and see a man who knew about all these things I did, who knows me inside and out. And everybody went, eh. 
Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. In the meantime, the disciples pressed him, Rabbi, eat. Aren't you going to eat? He said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Jesus always spoke cryptically. The disciples were puzzled. Well, who could have brought him food? Jesus said, the food that keeps me going is that I do the will of the one who sent me, finishing the work he started. As you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time for harvest? The corn was out in the field. The tassels are out. We're getting ripe for harvest, right? And you Jackson County people, you, you do things better and quicker than us Bartholomew County people. How do you do that with your corn and your melons? You, you just get it there in earlier. But harvest is about there. Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in this grain that's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. That's the way, that's the truth of the saying. This one sows, that one's harvest. I sent you to harvest a field you never worked. Without lifting a finger, you have walked in on a field, worked long and hard by others. God's so sovereign timing is amazing. He sets things up for you and I to step into to be used by him. That's a side lesson there. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. He knew about all the things I did. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on, so Jesus stayed two more days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him, and when they heard what he had to say, they said to the woman, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves. We know it for sure. He's the Savior of the world. Now, if you can remember just a few words. I'll give you four words. And in the back of your bulletin, there's a little thing underneath the youth minister thing. You got a nice little space, just four words. And we're, we're going to work on that. But before I do that, I'm going to demonstrate this. This is my bottle of water. And I, Hannah, I don't, I don't want to embarrass you. So you're just going to stay right there. But this is my new friend. I am 59 years old. How old are you? 16. She could be my granddaughter. I am from the United States of America. Where are you from? Germany. I am a, uh, a church consultant and a development specialist for Clarity. What, what do you do? She's a student. I don't think there's anybody else in this room that is farther from me. She's going, I wish this old guy would get away from me. <laughs> But here's, here's the picture here. You and I are homogenous people. We kind of tend to stick with ourselves, with our own kinds. And Jesus, back then, as a man, would be hanging out with other men. As a Jew, he'd be hanging out with other Jewish men. As a, a, a master teacher, a rabbi, he would be hanging out with this. That's why there's so many underlying problems in the New Testament with Jesus and the women that came around him. Remember the disciples trying to shoo the women away from him? Remember the disciples trying to shoo the children away? Because that just was not normal. And here we have a story 
where we see Jesus stepping into somebody's life that was such a polar opposite. And me and my new friend Hannah, we're pretty polar opposites. Uh, what's your favorite meat? I was going with bratwurst. <laughs> okay, now watch what happens. So here are me, here, here I am, who I am, and here's Hannah. And here we've got this. Would you ask me for this, this bottle of water? Would you ask me in German? I just want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, right there. Capture that in the camera of your mind. Right there. Her and I connected with this bottle of water. Now, there used to be, uh, when the Hare Krishnas used to hang out in the airports, they'd come up to you and they'd say, I'd like to give you a free book. And then as soon as they say free and you reached out for it, they wouldn't let go. Why? Because now they're connected. And my dad, when he was traveling, he would just take the book and run. <laughs> and then throw it in the garbage. <laughs> okay, keep on. All right, we're connected here. And I'm not trying to not give it to her, but I want this moment, this connection, to be your sermon picture, your PowerPoint that's up on the screen. Hannah and I holding on to the same bottle of water. Okay? You're welcome. All right. All right, so the first word I want you to write down is socialize. Socialize. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, sometimes we as the church can be the most unfriendly people in the world. And that's got to stop. And yes, you might be on the mission team. Yes, you might be on the deacon board. Yes, you might be a part of the kids cooking. You guys do a great work here. The pantry, the clothes, clothes pantry, and the food pantry across the street, and then the youth center, and the high school. Yes, you might be a part of that, and you're coming and cooking and all that, but I'm talking about you personally. Must be the friendly ambassador of Jesus Christ to those that are possibly most not like you at all. What was Jesus willing to do? Basically go into an area. What area? Some area. Get it? Some area that his people avoided and to talk with a woman that everyone avoided. That's all you got to do. You know, we walk into stores and you're lucky if you get a grunt out of the employee behind the counter and he's sitting there and he's got spiky hair and purple things and a tackle box hanging out of his face and all this. <laughs> you know what I love to do? The waiters and waitresses that wait on us, if they have any tattoos on them, while they're coming by the table, I say, hey, tell me about your ink. Because tattoos are very personal. Now, I don't know how you feel about tattoos but they're very personal and what a great conversation starter and a great way to start engaging folks of Jesus Christ just be friendly people that's no theological huge mystery we're called to engage in the world 
And it would help if we put a little smile on our face and just talk with people. Yes, I know you, may not, you might have an introverted personality and all this stuff. Just talk with people. Just be nice to them. Just engage with them. The scriptures tell us that Jesus had to go directly through Samaria to the town of Sychar, and that was Jacob's well. In the midday heat, he chose to take the time to engage with a woman that anyone could recognize that she really wasn't the sort of type of person voted most likely to do anything in her life except sleep around with the local townsmen. They could tell. It could have been the way she was dressed, her hair. They could tell. So she had that reputation. And we know that she had that reputation because she's out in the middle of the noonday heat getting water where everybody else would go when it's cooler in the morning or in the evening. And yet here she was all alone and great. There's a guy there. And he said hi to her. Oh, great. What's going to happen? The Son of Man had every right to call her out of her adulterous lifestyle, but Jesus chose to begin their encounter by affirming her dignity. And he chose to break down the wall of obvious mistrust and distrust, and he simply asked her, Would you give me a drink of water? Isn't that incredible? We don't realize how socially awkward this picture is. Where the Lord of life, who separated the matter from the dark and the light and the land from the sea and created that, he could have just, I'm sure he could have reached in and done something with that. I mean, he knew that his ancestor Jacob had that well that dug there. And he knew of the people. This is the Lord of Israel, the patriarch of Israel. Jesus knew him. He could have gotten water someplace else. But it is so odd that Jesus would go out of his way to talk to a woman that was most likely never to be talked to by a person of Jesus' stature. He didn't begin by saying that he could help her and fix her life. Instead, he just simply asked for a drink of water. He wanted her to know that she could help him. (laughs) And in that simple request, he demonstrated that as a Jew that was supposed to keep himself separate from the Samaritans, he was willing to take that first step across that normal cultural, racial, religious, and societal barrier. Folks, This is what our life of faith is. Stepping across the so many barriers. I will still love you if you prefer pepperoni on your pizza even though I like sausage. I'll step over that cultural barrier and eat your pepperoni. But look at all the things. You just turn on the news and you see people separating themselves. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, wacko jobs from all over. Black, white, Christian, Muslim, Jew. You see all these barriers, and it seems to me they're getting a little bit more rigid and hard. But I think this model of Jesus' ministry calls us to step, be willing to step across those kind of barriers. 
This cast-off woman who had spent her life in shame and receiving no value from anyone had suddenly been thrown out of her normal routine of degradation, was instantly recognized as a person of worth and as a person who had value to somebody else. Jesus began by affirming the dignity of this very, very special woman and loving her around her needs. He teaches us that we are to initiate relationships with people not like us and to love them around their needs. Is anybody feeling uncomfortable right now? Because I knew if I was hearing this from a guy like me, I'd go, oh yeah? I'm not telling you to be like me. I'm just simply saying, here's the story of Jesus and maybe we could learn about this a little bit. Suspicious, she begins to press Jesus for his motives. She questions him. She raises the race issue. She's trying to sniff out what Jesus is really wanting from her. After all, isn't that what she's a little bit more accustomed to from being approached by other men in the village? But Jesus cuts right through that pattern of social history that racial history, and he leads her to a deeper level of conversation by posing this statement. If you knew the gifts of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So that takes us to the next picture here. Socialize, sympathize. Socialize, get out there, be friendly, sympathize. Instead of letting somebody else's barriers be a distraction and a wall between you, why don't you kind of climb over that wall and start figuring out what's going on there? And if we just take the time, I think we're going to discover that there's lots of other layers behind somebody, why they might be so angry or why they might be so aloof or why, why, why. It's our job step into their lives, to sympathize, to start to understand, to connect with that. Jesus now takes the focus off the fact that he's this thirsty traveler, that he is Jewish, that she's Samaritan, that then she's the town tramp. Now he has suddenly made her thirsty and has allowed her to see her own need. Living water? Sure, where can I get some of that? She now becomes thirsty in a different way. Everyone who drinks this well water will be thirsty again. That's the physical felt need that they first connected. But now look what happens. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. That's the spiritual felt need. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up within him. Complete refreshment, satisfaction, this everlasting, what she's longing for, this spiritual, ah, of life. Rescue the perishing. They need relief. They need this spiritual living water that allows them to go, ah, I've got peace. There is a fount that is continually filling. It's the blood of Christ that gives me that refreshing presence over and over Again, give me your best hot summer long drink of cold water or tea or something that you've got. Let's do that on three. One, two, three. 
Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She was still a little bit confused. Once again, Jesus affirmed her around her felt need. He was then in a position to show her her spiritual need. Because Jesus had won her trust and belief in his love and compassion for her, she was on her way towards the real heart of the matter. But Jesus just had to push it just a little bit more, and he brings up that whole icky husband issue. Uh-oh. The husband word. Panic. Bad memories. Broken vows. Confusion. Uh, which husband? How could she answer him? And so she chose the technical and yet the truthful answer, I have no husband. And she dreaded his response. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man that you have now is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. What? No shame? No judgment? No demeaning look coming her way? No wagging of the head and tisking of the tongue that she had a lifetime hearing from others? So in withholding his rightful judgment, Jesus offers her what the followers of Christ, get this, what the followers of Christ rarely offer to anyone outside the church anymore. Sympathy, understanding, kindness, compassion, consideration, empathy, and forgiveness. That's our job. We, we sang about the duty to get out there. Our duty is to extend the love and the forgiveness of Christ to others. And we do that by connecting with them in certain ways. So she tries to change the subject. I can see that you're a prophet. And Jesus' response takes us to this next step. Socialize, sympathize. You ready for the third one? Serve. He's got her right to the point where it's kind of like, right? And he's jigging and he's twisting. She goes, sir, I'd like that living water. <clears throat> he's got her hooked. He's got her interested. He's connected with her. And now he has been able to successfully navigate that into where her deeper need is. That's what Pam and Marilyn do at the Pregnancy Care Center, the Clarity Centers. Pam's at Bartholomew. You all are, are supporting the Jackson Center. We come in. We engage with people socially. We share compassion with them. We address physical needs. Why? So that we can open the door to spiritual avenues. Where do you think we got that model? Uh... Jesus in John 4, that's where we're at, serve. So now as she meets his physical need of thirst, he meets her need with her spiritual thirst. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He goes on and on. You see what Jesus is doing? He's connecting with their Jewish roots, and Samaritans were half Jews. He's going way back connecting with her, and he's serving her the living water of salvation. The good news. The drink of water that will quench 
spiritual thirst forever and ever. As our bodies hunger and thirst, so do our souls. But our souls need that spiritual food and water. And as God's creation, we were designed to be fueled by him. If we don't get fueled by God through worship, through the scriptures, through the company of his church, we will seek to fuel ourselves with what the Old Testament calls false idols. Detestable practices. The woman confused the two kinds of water, probably because no one had ever talked to her about her spiritual hunger and thirst before. And receiving that deep level of understanding and sympathy from Jesus and hearing him talk about the relationship with God, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. Boom, he's landed her. Now Jesus, in his full glory, serves it up in the biggest golden platter and says, I who speak to you am he. I am the one, the Messiah. None of that would happen if he had not ventured into Sychar, Samaria, to talk with this woman, to engage with her, to reveal himself to her. Socialize, sympathize, serve, and you ready for the last word? Share. Note what happens to her where she speaks out about Jesus and about his love. She accepted his offer. She goes back into the town and tells everyone about their exchange. Now this is a woman that wasn't most likely to talk to a whole lot of people about meeting a Jewish man out at the well. But she can't help herself. You see, when we are refreshed with spiritual living water, we can't help but share it with others. Forgetting her shame, she passed along to the one who served her. Then she became the one that serves them. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ she's sharing with them? She shared her experience, her newfound self-worth, and that the Messiah had overcome her shame, her reputation, and many came out to meet Jesus. The Bible tells us that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because the woman shared her testimony, because Jesus socialized with her, he sympathized with her, he served her salvation, and now she can't help but share. <laughs> Jesus stayed another two days. In Sychar of Samaria. And the disciples are going, what about us? We don't want to stay here. Oh yeah, you're the Lord of creation. You do that. Where are we going to stay? Because now, once again, because they were in that town, in their company, subject to their hospitality, now they were unclean. And I'm sure Jesus had just a wee bit of a chuckle over that. I got to get me some new disciples someday. <laughs> so what is the application here? We've got this. It's, it's an easy story. You're an agent of Jesus Christ. You know that. You're his follower. You're his ambassador. You're called to represent his best interest to others. How are you going to do that if you can't even engage with somebody with a simple smile, a simple handshake? That's what I'm calling you up to do. So are you willingly and intentionally willing to go into 
some area, get it, in order to meet those people. I don't know, it might be the local Walmart. There's some crazy people in there. I've got a ministry to the people of Walmart. Go for it. Are you willing to take the time to just stop and understand? Instead of judging and, and trying to define those boundaries, are you willing to look beyond that and say, here's a person that needs a little extra help with some understanding. And what about this church? Is Christ community? You're engaging in the community? Are you willing to continue to go and engage with that? To open up yourselves to discover the stories of people in need? To become a servant, a for servant force of love in meeting those needs to help open those doors? Now, according to the Master's plan, when you as individuals, not collectively as a church, you as individuals serve together as the community, the body of Christ, and you embrace Jesus' model to socialize, to sympathize, to serve, people can't help but share. And they see, come see this man, Jesus, that these people are filled with. Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well reminds us to just be compassionate people and to give people a drink where they thirst. He teaches that us addressing social and physical needs precede addressing spiritual needs. They cannot be conveniently compartmentalized one from the other. It's a package deal. The social, the physical, the spiritual are the thirsts of everyone. Everyone is thirsty and everyone has some sort of water to offer to engage with others. So Hannah's got my water bottle. That's my gift to you. Drink it well. We're connected now. Now, she's not going to call me or friend me on Facebook, I don't think, or anything like that. But we're connected for just a brief moment there. And I'm so glad that Mark and Marilyn are hosting her for the... And you all are doing different things in this community to engage with others. You see how simple this is? It's Jesus' model for ministry, and if we follow it, I think we'll all be better off. One last thing. Pam and I talked about this a little bit. The good thing is the same sermon I share all the time is always a little bit different, isn't it? So what's been going on lately in the news to help us with this message today? And I want to give you one little hashtag. Hashtag scare me. Ready for this last hashtag? That is so culturally relevant to this moment in looking back at this engagement with Jesus and the woman at the well. You ready? Hashtag her life matters. I'm kind of over this life matters or this life matters or this life matters or this life matters because we collectively group them. But this story here reminds us that every single Life matters to Jesus. And we've got to start acting just like he did way back there in that town of Sychar. Let me pray. I'll give it back to Kenny. Oh, Father God, we need your help. 
because we like staying safe and we like staying comfortable and we like staying predictable and we don't want to edge out in boundaries and we don't want to risk ourselves. But Father, we are followers of the most risky person that ever stepped foot on this earth. Jesus Christ risked his life for the world and not collectively but individually for every man, woman, child, American, German, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, black, white, brown, red, yellow, every life matters to Jesus. Help us to act in that same way. Give us the grace to do that and the strength to accomplish that. For these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.